Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. I know I've got the wrong thing that I struggle with, but I'm not doing that thing, so I'm good, right? We sort of walk up to the line like a child, right? This is what children do all the time. Don't touch that thing. morning um, about how often, I was talking to one of the officers in our church, we were talking about how often adults revert to childlike reasoning when it comes time for them to have an interaction with the cops. Right? What? What? what it wasn't me? I just saw you do... Uh, you must have been somebody else. right? Grown people. Okay. That's silly. And yet, that's such a picture of us where we know we have addictive tendencies and yet we fiddle with them. Where we know we have pride and yet we indulge it. One of the areas where we do this the worst is sort of our self-talking. Right? Because you know the person who talks to you the most is you. Your inner monologue. That sort of dialogue that you constantly have going with yourself. How many times do we let that on our lives. I did yesterday. Uh, Angie, we had a birthday party for Connor. One of Angie's friends was over, and, and her and her friend went out afterwards to go look at some shops and go go to some stores. And while she was gone, I, I did a little bit of cleaning around the house. Right? I kind of cleaned up a little bit. And I thought, look at you, Justin. <laughs> you cleaned up the whole front yard where all the nurse stuff was. And you found where all the things that needed to be recycled were, and you put them in the recycling. This is pretty great. I, I deserve something for this. And you know what? I bet, I bet you when Angie walks in, she's not going to notice. She, she has not come home at all, and I am self-talking myself about this. And I know that this is not okay, but I, but I keep talking to myself about it. And when she comes in the door, she sets her bags down and shows me the dress that she got for the wedding that we're going to, and, and everything is great. And then she says something like, oh man, the trash smells. And I lose it. <laughs> oh, that's what you notice when you get home? That's what it is? Not that the yard is clean? Not that the recycling? What was happening there? Right? I had this angry outburst. Why? Because I was in my mind, indulgent. I was setting myself up for an argument. I was picking a fight before my wife even got home. How often do you and I allow that to happen in our lives? How often do we put our hand as close to the fire as we can? Because that's what Samson did. And then Samson had to bear the consequences. So Samson is chained up there. And the people of the Philistines, the Philistine people, started to have a party. And when they're at this party, they start praising their god, Dagon. And what's really interesting is in the book of Judges, 
This is the second longest hymn. This is the second longest praise. And you would think that in the Bible, that in the book of the Bible, all of the prayers and songs would be about God, about Yahweh God. And yet things are so bad in the time of the judges that besides Deborah's song that we talked about a few months ago, besides that, this is the longest praise in the Bible, in the book of Judges. And it's written to a false god named Ahab. This should give us a little bit of shock and awe. This was meant to be a wake-up call to the people of Israel. Hey, wait a minute. They're out praising Dagon, saying, look how great Dagon is. He has delivered us from the bad guys. Samson, he is greater than everyone else because he wins in battle. Samson's actions have not only had the consequence of getting him hurt, but Samson's actions have had the consequence of having people worship another god. You and I tend to think that our actions don't affect anyone else. That I sort of live in a silo, right? And this is true whether we're Christians or whether we're not Christians. And we, we, even, we even have a phrase for this uh, in our culture today that we use quite often. You do you. You do you, I'll do me, we'll be fine. Right? You hear this, you hear this at work, right? When people are like negotiating who's gonna do what part of a project when people are sort of divvying things up, wherever you're at, you hear this phrase, you do you, I'll do me, right? And what we're doing when, they're say, when we say that is, your actions, I'm not going to let your actions affect me. You don't let my actions affect you. Let's silo ourselves and say that nobody else is going to let anybody else's effect, actions affect you. And we keep each other away. And what we don't realize is that that is just impossible. Our actions always have consequences to other people around us. Whether you're a loner, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, no matter where you are, no matter if you have tons of friends or feel like you have no friends, wherever you're at, your actions affect others. Maybe they affect others by you not being around. Maybe they affect others like Samson by you being a bad influence. Whatever it is, your actions, my actions, affect people around us. And as Christians, this is even more significant. Because oftentimes, your actions and mine give people an excuse to worship other gods. And we do this because, in reality, in functionality, we worship the same thing co-workers and neighbors do. I do. I think you do too. How many of us say we're Christians and, and are Christians, but functionally, success is what really drives our lives? If you look at our work habits, if you look at sort of the way that we frame our relationships, if you look at sort of our online presence, you look at whatever metric, whatever window into our lives you want to look at, how much of our lives are driven by the fact that we want to be successful? Whether that's in business, whether that's in 
social spheres, whatever it is, that's what we're chasing. Or maybe it's pleasure. Maybe it's I want pleasure, and that's what drives my actions. When we as Christians live our lives with allegiance to that as our God, what happens is other people go, oh, I can do the same thing. It's okay to be a Christian, but really all I care about is my job. It's okay to be a Christian, but really all I care about is filling the blank. We were talking, we had friends and pondering this past Thursday night. It was an excellent time um, for those of you guys who are with us. And one of the things we started to talk about, we talked about the idea of self. We talked about the topic of uh, does society overemphasize or underemphasize self? And one of the things that we talked about was the fact that society as a whole tends to overemphasize self. We, we all sort of, in our own ways, are about us. And one of the things that I thought was really uh, helpful and interesting is those that were there from City Church were, were honest and said, yeah, whether it's sort of a one perception of self or another, I do the same thing. All of us in our culture have bought into this idea that the world revolves around me in some way. That I'm the one who sort of controls my destiny. Or I'm the one who I need to watch out for. And many of us, that's the thing that we're chasing. And when we do that, we don't show the goodness of Jesus. We don't show the way that he is forming our lives into being something different. Into being something more hopeful and more beautiful. Someone who says, yes, I know that it is so tempting to worship success because it is easy to worship success because I know how to work. I know how to put in the right number of hours. I know how to put in the right work ethic that I can get the success done. I know how to go out and get pleasure. I know where to find it. I know how easy it is to make self the thing that's most important. We're like Samson, giving people a reason to worship him. So then Samson cries out to God. And what's really interesting is that this is the first time that we see Samson praying to God. In his life. When he's about to die, after all of these times that he's killed Philistines, that he's rescued people, that he's torched cities, the first time that he actually prays is about 30 seconds before he dies. And he says, God, would you remember me? And when he says, would you remember me? He's using, he's using the language of the book of Exodus. He's using the language of covenant. So he says, God, would you remember me? And we, we look at that in that first phrase, and we go, oh, Samson's turned the corner. Samson's doing good. Look at Samson. Maybe, maybe things are turning around. And then he says, would you remember me so that I can avenge my two eyes and kill all these people because they hurt me? Samson, killing me, Smalls. What we see in Samson, even at the end of his life, is mixed purpose. Even at the moment where Samson is at his best, Samson's motives are mixed. But this is where things begin to turn for you and I, because this is where things begin to be a little bit more tricky for us. Because guess what? 
thing that's true about Samson in his last moment, the fact that his motives are mixed is true of you and I as well, isn't it? Very rarely do we do a good thing just to do a good thing. Very rarely do we do anything without mixed motives. I had a, a professor one time who used to say, I thank God for mixed motives because without them, I wouldn't get anything done. Because all of our motives are a mix of good and bad. All of our, all of our motives are just like Samson. Remember me so I can avenge my eyes. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet later in the Old Testament, acknowledges sort of the, the mixedness of even our good works by saying even your good works are like filthy rags. Not the bad things you do. Not the bad stuff you do. But even your good works are as filthy rags. Your motives are so mixed. And that's where Samson is. And that's where you and I And yet, as we step back and look at this passage, we see something else. We don't just see ourselves in Samson's failing. We see our rescuer in Samson's success. Because in this moment, Samson single-handedly stretches out his hands and grabs hold of the pillars at full wingspan and crushes the enemies of God can you begin to see the illusion that is happening here? Because Samson gave his life to defeat the enemies of God. Which is meant to point us to Jesus. In the same way that Samson gave his life to destroy the enemies of God, Jesus gave his life to make the enemies of God his friends. To make people with mixed motives his sons and daughters. <clears throat> to make people who don't always worship the right things the prince and princesses of heaven. He made people like Samson and you and me his children by his death on the cross which destroyed God's enemies. But Jesus was much different than Samson, right? While Samson's life is, is tainted, while Samson's life has all sorts of problems, Jesus' life is pure. While Samson was constantly hounded by all the things that he did wrong, and in some ways deserved the consequences that he got, Jesus deserved nothing of the consequences he got. Because the consequences that Jesus was receiving on the cross were the ones that you and I deserved. And by taking those consequences for us, by taking all of the wrath that you and I deserve from all the ways that we are unfaithful that this passage has already pointed out, by taking that away, what Jesus has done is made it so that we can no longer be prosecuted for the things that we've done. You and I stand before heaven not guilty, no longer ashamed, covered, and declared to be whole, declared to be right, declared to be sons and daughters of God, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus took those things for you and I. And so we stand before God free and whole. And so one of the things that this does, and we begin to realize this, 
and we begin to realize of how great Jesus is, how much he has done for us, how much life this can bring us, one of the things that it does is it makes us brave. It makes us brave to look at the consequences of our actions and say, I know that I have consequences for the things that I've done. And yet none of those consequences can change my place as a son and daughter. Nothing I can do, none of those things that I do are ever going to be great enough to change my position as a child of God. And so I can look square in the eyes and I can confess my sins like we just did earlier. I can be honest about the ways that I serve other things before God because I know that he has forgiven me and loved me and made me whole. You are his city church. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are the very sons and daughters of God made whole by his love. May that begin to change each one of us this week. May it make us grateful. May it make us see him as more beautiful than all of the other things that we want to worship. Let's pray.